I'm Ryan. And I'm Andrew from the Dad.io podcast, a podcast member of the Gonna Geek Network. Just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Check out all the other podcasts at gonnageeknetwork.com. And get ready, because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Grab a coffee, tea, or hot chocolate, and welcome to episode 165 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we discuss ways to type with your audience. In this week's Better Podcasting download, we try to celebrate a couple industry announcements, including one very original one. And finally, in this week's Better Pod Back, we run down some great audience Twitter feedback. Lauren, start the show now. I have one heck of a how I save my podcast story to tell, me personally. Welcome to Better Podcasting, a show where we talk about podcast tips, tools, and best practices to help you succeed with your podcast. What makes us different? Well, just like you, we podcast purely out of the love and fun of it. Podcasting is our hobby, and we recognize that it's yours too. We always encourage your questions and feedback, and you can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. Here's your host for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to episode 165 of Better Podcasting, episode 165. I am Stephen John Drew, and of course, I have with me my color-coordinated brother in pod, Stargate Pioneer. I swear we don't leave each other notes. We're both wearing <laughs> orange. I just wanted to wear my star wore his rebel jersey he just went with the orange color coded shirt for better podcasting and now we are color coordinated we're gonna have to work on that next week folks we understand <laughs> in the meantime this is better podcasting it's a podcast for the hobby podcaster to make your podcast better and we have a lot of great things in this episode i'm really excited to record this episode you know there's even there's just some episodes you're like oh this is gonna be so fun and this is gonna be one of those episodes to start out with though we do a segment and we call it how i saved my podcast story and this is where we bring in stories of people of how they have worked their way through adversity to get their podcasts out and published we know every one of you that is listening is that is a podcaster has had to do this so we know you have all of those stories so please get your stories into us at BetterPod on Twitter. You can email us podcast at betterpodcasting.com and hopefully send us a video file because we are a video show or at least an audio file. Or you can also go to our Facebook page, which Stephen moderates because, well, I'm not on Facebook. But there you it's go, true. Stephen. You have already said that you have a How I Save My Podcast story and I am interested to learn everything that you did to save your <laughs> podcast. As it is a very interesting one that I've been looking forward to oddly telling, even though it caused me lots of stress. Yes, that's right. So let's go back and I'll walk you through how I saved my podcast. So this was actually the last most recent episode of Better Podcasting, episode 164, contrary to popular belief. Uh, and it all started out with me having to go away for work which meant that I was not able to record the show during the regular time. And I had to leave on a Sunday morning, which, of course, chewed into weekends and left all sorts of weird possibilities and troubles for us to actually record episode 164. So SP and I arranged 
a pre-recording of better podcasting. So we got together and we said, when does that work? And we made sure that it happened so that we could keep our schedule going. And that's how you saved your podcast. Well, kind of. Yes, that's part of it. But there's oh, more. Oh. There is more. Huh. So we also hear a better podcasting recognize that a lot of people really, really enjoy seeing the raw version of this. So there's a lot of podcasters checking this out. We've had multiple people say that they like to see what our raw version of the show looks like compared to our edited so that they can learn some ways that we hide all of those errors that we make. So what we did was SP and I actually recorded it in a live fashion and I scheduled our live page when we would usually record on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern to come on up live and embed the raw version of the video that we had put together during our recording session. So I made sure that anybody who went on last Wednesday to check it out would see a raw version of Better Podcasting. And that's how you saved your podcast. Well, yes, part part of it, but there is more. There is more. What? You didn't tell me this, huh? Now, what's up? Here's the other thing as well, is that I may or may not have made a mistake as I was recording. And because we were doing two back to back features of recording, because we did record after episode 163, I might have not realized that my hard drive space was a little lacking. So what ended up happening was partway through our recording, all of a sudden it dropped out and I got the notice that uh, I was out of hard drive space and I was able to, as SP was mid conversation, quickly delete a couple files and start the recording back very, very quickly. And unfortunately, when this happened, because I ran out of space, it also caused XSplit to drop the live streams from going out. So that meant that I didn't actually have one uh, complete raw file for us to post. So post show, we recorded a little bit of a, a piece that I could bridge in after. But of course, I had to go and stitched the two of those raw files together. So we had essentially one big raw file. And that is how you saved your podcast. Well, yes, but there's still actually a lot more. So uh, another <laughs> thing that came out of this was that I got to me a new to me laptop for the road. A couple days, the opportunity came along and I was very appreciative of it. So thank you. You know who you are. Uh, ended up getting a new to me laptop, which was a heck of a lot better than what I was traveling with previously. So this was at the last minute. So I had to do reinstalls. I had to throw an SSD in there. I had to do a whole bunch of stuff, including putting on Magic's Movie Studio onto there because I like, even though I try to remote into my home computer because it's faster, I, I did end up uh, wanting to have it on the laptop so that if I needed to, I had access to Magic's Movie Studio. So I had to go and somehow fit that into my pre-travel schedule that was already jam-packed. And I ended up, of course, as I went through Magic's Movie Studio, realizing that my two activations that I was entitled to had already been used because, well, I've reinstalled my main PC before. So I had to go in, oh. find in the panel where I could deregister the previous activation from Magic's Movie Studio in or order to get it added to my laptop. Huh. Yeah. In full disclosure, I've only ever installed two instances, one on my main computer and one on my laptop. So I did not know you only got two instances of activation. That is important information to know. So that is how you saved your podcast. 
Well, yes, but no, there, there's still, still more. Oh so, my gosh. Anyways, amongst all of this, I'm trying to compile that file that I previously mentioned so that we could get it all scheduled. Oh, and also compile episode 163 because that wasn't compiled yet either. And so as I'm going through trying to compile the podcast, my computer all of a sudden shuts down. That's right. It just starts shutting down. And I'm like, what is going on here? Now, here's the thing is because I like to bite off more than I can chew earlier in the weekend, I was playing with some networking stuff as well, and I had installed some utilities. So I just assumed that that was what was wrong. And I went through trying safe mode, trying disabling things, tried a whole bunch of things in order to get this to work. But no, it just kept shutting off, so I thought, well, SP, he's such a good friend. He recently mentioned to me that there was apparently a Windows update that was causing a lot of problems for people, so maybe that's what it is. And it occurred to me, Stephen, you have sitting there a 120 gigabyte SSD drive unused. Yes, it's smaller than you'd like, but why don't you go ahead and reinstall Windows, get that going, and that should solve your problem. So I grabbed that 120 SSD, and I thought, okay, well, let's go ahead and and download the um, media creation tool all over. So I'm getting the latest version of the media creation from Microsoft, get it reinstalled. And I went through the setup process and, and reinstalled Windows to the 120 gig SSD. And that is how you saved your podcast. Until my computer shut down again. Because oh my fresh install, it got through the setup. No, I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, my computer is still shutting down on a fresh install. So I'm going, great. It's hardware. It's got to be hardware. So late night for Steven, like the day before he's going to go away. So I go down on my knees to my computer and end up getting ready to start pulling hardware and adding it back in one at a time till I find out what is wrong. And suddenly I realize, wait a minute. Steven, your computer is off right now, yet why does it sound like it's running? To which I noticed that my battery backups, I've mentioned them before, including on the most recent episode, my battery backups were running the fans. The fans on the battery backups kick on when the battery comes on. You know, if you've ever used anything that inverts power, there's always fans and cooling involved with it. And so I'm like, wait a minute, why are these running? And then I hear click. And then 30 seconds later, I hear click again. And I look, and both battery backups are toggling back and forth between power and battery mode, like on a 30 to 60 second cycle. I'm like, what is going on here? And my immediate thought is that my computer power supply, something is going wrong. So I unplug it, and they're still doing it. All right, so I start running through my battery backups pulling out connections one at a time, toggling them on and off, seeing like, is this going to fix it? To uh, where I get to the point that I only have one battery backup plugged in directly into my wall with nothing on it, and it's still doing it. So I'm like, okay, so the battery backup's bad, there's something else in my room that's bad, or maybe my circuit breaker is bad, I don't know. So I thought, okay, first thing I'm going to do is take this battery backup, and move it onto another circuit and see if that fixes it, thinking, again, maybe something's wrong with my breaker. And guess what? The battery backup worked flawlessly in the other room. Now, it didn't have a load on it or anything, but as I mentioned, it didn't have a load on it when it was flickering on and off in my den. 
So I'm like, okay, well, this isolates it to my room. And I'm thinking, okay, how do I figure this out? I guess I better go dig into my Christmas display and get some of those extension cords and run some extension cords to the other rooms and, and start diagnosing that way. And as I come in, I realize, wait a minute, your battery backups are off, your computer's off. Why does it sound like something's running? And I realized that of all things in my room, my laser printer had the fans running like it had been printing. Now, it's important to note, I haven't printed on that thing for days. And it occurred to me, that's probably been running all day. I think this fan's been going for a while. So what do I do? I go behind the printer and I press the, the physical power switch because this laser printer has a physical power switch and everything starts working fine. The battery backups no longer uh, have a problem. Their fans go off within a few seconds and everything seems back to normal. Turn my computer back on, back to the, uh, the real install, the one that I didn't wipe because remember, I used a separate hard drive. Went back to that other install and everything kept working. No problems at all. So what I guess it is, is my laser printer. In the meantime, since I got back from my trip, I did do a bit of a voltage check and I've, I've tried on a couple different circuits. And when it's running every minute or so, it does end up dipping down in voltage draw. So um, I'm not sure if it's drawing too much voltage or, or what's going on, but it ended up being that. Now, I thing is, at first, I thought to myself when I went away, okay, well, there you go, Steven. You've changed your mind. Now it's time to get power conditioners because you've just proven that your battery backup is not conditioning the power. And then it occurred to me, wait a minute, you had other items that were not on the battery backup plugged in as well, including I had my Echo Dot plugged into my three and a half millimeter, which went into the L12, so the Echo Dot was not on a battery backup. Theoretically, power could have come in and played around there. But then, as I was on my trip, it occurred to me that my television that I have, I have a TV in here. It also uh, acts as a display when I'm recording. It's actually right in front of me behind the camera so that I can look kind of towards the camera. That was plugged in through HDMI to the computer, and the TV I didn't do not have on a battery backup. And I'm thinking like maybe that was what was going on because if you've ever played with an HDMI device, you know there's a bit of a, a handshake going on as far as checking HDCP compliance and stuff like that. And maybe it was related to that because remember, I mentioned I got through the install without issue. So I think that it probably was something interfering like driver wise or acting weird or windows didn't really like something connected coming on and off i can only think because it got through the install without issue i don't know it, it's a random theory i'm not willing to put my hardware more at test in order to figure this out but yes it was quite a pain in the butt and i just happened to luck in by pulling out one item at a time and just kind of uh, sorting everything out and really just pulling a, out each item, finding out that it was my laser printer. So it was not what I needed, definitely not what I needed before I went on the trip. But the good news was, was after that, it ran without issue. There's a couple of weird Windows things going on right now. And I think that was because during all of this, I ended up disabling some stuff in safe mode that I probably shouldn't have. But uh, I'll just reinstall Windows. It's a good opportunity anyways. But Hi, a computer hasn't had any knock on wood shut off since. So that, all of that, 
is how I saved my podcast trying to get episode 163 and 64 and the live version of 164 come together. That is how you saved your podcast. And Stephen, PC load letter. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so so you're going to take the you're going to take the printer out and put it out of its misery. I'm thinking about it. I really am thinking about it. In the meantime, um, I'm just going to leave it unplugged and run a cord to a different room when I need to print something in the meantime, because I'll just put it to a circuit that's not being used just for now. Why don't you plug it into your neighbor's outdoor socket? <laughs> Why not? That sounds good, too. So it there does. you go. If you got an idea about what might have caused this or, you know, you want to shake your finger at me and say, Steven, I told you you should have had a power conditioner. It would have been fine. Let me know. You can do it through any of the ways. I have no idea. Uh, I will fully admit that I've been in a bit of chaos since I've got back and I haven't had a chance yet to get everything on the battery backup, but that's my priority this weekend is to just everything in this room. It's just going to go on the battery backup, even though it doesn't need to be on it. I'm just going to do it. And if listener, if you have a phenomenal story or just a regular story of how you save your podcast, please get it into us and through all the ways uh, video feedback is best audio will take. And if you want a dramatic reading by me, then just send it in on text. In the meantime, Stephen, we got another great segment to talk about. In podcasting, one of the best ways to gauge your audience is how much you interact with them. And we've talked before about how you can ask for feedback and use that to engage with your audience. But have you considered that you might already have the opportunity to build your audience in a real time fashion? Now, here at Better Podcasting, we don't make it any secret that while we do edit the show, we also record it live and you get to see all the great live mistakes that we make along the way. We also have a variety of other places that we like to engage with our audience in real time as well. So today we're going to talk about some of those experiences we've had, why you might want to consider the same, and also some things to watch out for in the process. So we're going to start by talking about the why. So why would you want to interact with your audience in real time? So before we get talking about some specifics, let's talk about this, the reason why you might want to consider the real-time engagement or your potential audience. Stephen, what do you got? Well, let's start off with the first point, which is what SP just said, your potential audience. Real-time engagement can potentially help you build your audience. Whether it's a chat room that you've got going while you record or it's somewhere else like social media, there's a good opportunity that when you have real time, mostly real time uh, interaction, you can better help build your audience. There's also a real opportunity to help build better connections on a different level when you're talking with somebody real time that you might not get if you're just getting emails like after you release your show. For example, when you're talking to your audience in a real-time fashion, you can have the opportunity to not only talk about what you're speaking about at that moment, but sometimes you can go on to different tangents and again, just build a bit of a connection with them. But when you're dealing with somebody who's just emailing you after you release an episode, they're probably tying it to your episode, so you're kind of confined to what your episode is about. It's just the inherent nature of them emailing you in response to your episode. Right, and in real time or even near real time feedback, you can 
actually make your project better. And that is because if you find that what's worked well and what might not be clear during your initial explanation, and perhaps what just didn't fit with your show, if you find out all that, then you can make your posted project better or re-record a segment along the way. So real-time feedback, or like I said, near real-time feedback while you're recording is something that can help contribute to making your posted show the best that can be. Heck, we've even edited things based on real-time live chat room feedback. We have, uh, especially that episode where he fired me. Everybody said that they wanted me back and he hired me right away after that episode. It was absolutely phenomenal. That did not happen. Matter of fact, everybody was concerned that it was permanent. <laughs> Fair enough. There's also the fact that it can be fun for you. We've talked about it before. As a hobby podcaster, one of the best things that really helps make you tick is by getting feedback from people. And when you get that real-time feedback, it can help validate your work. It's interaction right away that can help you feel better about what you're accomplishing. I know, I gotta say myself, it's one of the reasons that I still love to fight through a chat room as difficult as it can be, especially with a video show. It can be so difficult sometimes when there's tech issues that you wouldn't have that pressure otherwise, but I just love the fun of it. That's one of my big reasons that I love having a chat room while we record. There's a lot of fun interaction that goes back and forth on our show, on other shows that I've noticed, and some of it doesn't make it into the show. It's just a side interaction and it keeps that energy level up during recording and it can vector you into better places while you're recording. So I've really enjoyed recording most of my shows live for a few years now, and it's given me a lot of experience to do that while I'm not heavily in as heavily into the production level as Steven is, I still do like to have that chat room up and that interaction as we're recording in, we've talked about it before in a multiple host show while one host is talking, another is interacting with the host that's talking. And then you can have somebody that's dedicated to look in the chat room and bring those comments out. So you can have a holistic approach to your podcast with multiple hosts. In the meantime, we're going to talk about our experiences here. So I know I said that we've had some experiences over the past few years. Steven, you might have a little bit more than me by six months, a year or something like that. But we both have had years of experience with chat rooms. So let's talk, start with the obvious here, a chat room while we record. It's not the only interaction we're going to talk about, but it's where we're going to start. So on the Gunna Geek Network, there have been a variety of live chat methods used throughout the years, and we've used a live web page landing page for streaming, and it helps provide the central hub for a, a live chat. And as a broadcaster, you're not really committed to the chat room of the platform that you're using to stream or connect to each other. It also means that if you ever have to change that live chat, it's relatively seamless for your live audience since you've already trained them to go to your page. We use geeks.live. That's where we actually stream all our live shows on our shows that we do, Stephen, you and I, and people know just to go there rather than to you pick a streaming service.com. And that just makes it easier once you actually have to change that. And when, what happens when they just don't exist anymore, Stephen? What, what happened when something went away for us? Well, luckily, when we have people going to Geeks.Live, then you go and you make the necessary code changes in the back end in order to do that. Like 
when SP was using Blab all the time. He had them going to Geeks.Live and we had Blab work in through there. So then once Blab went away, we were able to just go ahead and make some changes out of that. Now here on Better Podcasting, we've actually used Blab once or twice before. So that was another unique way that we were able to build with an audience in a live fashion because of the fact that Blab had a really, really, really good sort of discovery system where a lot of people were hopping between different rooms. So it was a good opportunity there, at least in the early days, to possibly get some other people. And I know we did find some people and some people have stuck with us from those experiences. Now, yes, here at Better Podcasting, our experiences were mostly not related to the show because, quite honestly, I told SP I didn't want to use Blab because I I knew it was going to go away. But he got a lot of other stuff through his other shows. Yeah, and making those connections are great whenever you can do that as a podcaster to grow your live audience and then to bring some of them with you as you have to leave that platform when it implodes. It, that was a good thing. Now, the next main thing that we used as a chat, and we've done this for years, was Chatwing. We used it even as late as last episode. And this thing was great because it was free. And it was also bad because it was free and it eventually went away probably because it was free. One of the issues with it is the pricing structure and the pricing structure for a lot of the chat rooms, it's just not conducive to what I would call a hobby podcaster. So somebody that's got on average 20, 30, maybe even 50 people coming into a chat room for one hour or two hours a week, you have to pay an exorbitant amount to get that capability. So you can have like 10 or a hundred and the, I forget what the prices were, Stephen. you actually looked them up at one time recently to go to the pro version and like 10 was, I don't know, five bucks a month, but that wasn't obtainable for us because we needed more, but a hundred was like a hundred dollars a month or something outrageous. And as, as a hobby podcaster, you don't want to spend all that money on it. Right. Right. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was yeah. just not something we were willing to spend. Right. So Chatwing was great in that it had some capabilities that we really liked. So it had an embed feature so you could throw the chat onto your web page, onto your live page, which is what we did. It also had a pop-out feature so you could click on the pop-out button, whatever it was, and you could bring it out and use it as a separate window. And so you didn't have to stay focused on that one web page. You could have the chat window up. And then if you were just listening or watching the podcast, you could work while you were doing that. And I just liked the way that you could pop out and embed it into your web page. Now the login to Chatwing was pretty unique because you could do it with a Chatwing account, which I mostly did because I was a moderator. And I think the only way you could have been a moderator is if you were logged in on a Chatwing account. So that's what I did there. But also you could log in with Twitter or Facebook which is an integration that is a blessing and a curse. A lot of people like it. A lot of people don't for a lot of reasons, but that was a bonus feature for those that liked using it. The other thing that I really liked about Chatwing and a lot of other people liked about Chatwing is you could actually go back and review the entire session. So it didn't delete. You just scrolled back up and then you could see the whole thing. I don't remember if you could export it. I think you could click on everything, copy and paste it, but I don't think you could export it. And, but regardless, you could go back and take a look at it. And that was pretty cool. Also, it was pretty instantaneous. So as you were typing it and you click send, it automatically send to everybody. And then as you were recording live, if somebody hit send like a split second later, the 
host would be able to see that and be able to react to it in real time as long as their video wasn't delayed. So that was pretty good. And then, of course, there was moderation tools. So if you had somebody that was coming in was being a troll or spammy, you could go ahead and kick them out. And I actually kicked Steven out a couple of times just for the heck of it and watched him squirm his way back in. I always have a way to get back in your life, SP. Haven't you learned that by now? I have as much time as I've tried. You have continued to squirm your way back in the chat. So that is what we've used predominantly on Better Podcasting, but that's not our only experience. And actually, my first experience from the production role was actually our friend Chris, who is our co-host on Gunna Geek and my co-host on Starling Tribune. He runs his own show called All Things Good and Nerdy on Sunday mornings. And it's just been a live show for years now, over five years. and. When he first started out, one of the live chats that he chose was called Mibit, and that's M-I-B-B-I-T. And that was an embeddable chat service, no frills, and he was able to do it on his live page, which back in the day was actually his Podbean live page. He was able to stream his YouTube Hangouts on Air, I believe it was called back then, and he was able to have that separate chat in that worked great. That was a good model, basically, to go. I just want to give Chris all credit because he was one of the first on the network to embed a chat, and that's what he used. It, it was basically an IRC-type chat room, but it was customized a little bit, and we've moved away from that, but Chris did use that for years. Now, Stephen, we've also tried to dabble from time to time with YouTube, right? Absolutely. One of the best ways that easiest ways i should say not best easiest ways that you can interact with your audience on a live manner especially if you are streaming on youtube is through the youtube chat because youtube live itself actually has the possibility to chat in real time on the youtube site and there is a way that you can embed the chat as well now there is sometimes a slight delay with that as well the sort of sync of course considering with YouTube live how sometimes there's a bit of a delay there can be a bit of um a, a bit of a a gap where you're talking about something on there and then all of a sudden you're like oh wait uh that was five minutes ago well not five minutes ago but 30 seconds ago because of that delay so that's definitely something that is worth considering when you do stream on YouTube live is that you might have a bit of a delay yes there is a low latency like a super ultra low latency option that brings that delay quite a bit in and we've tried it but we've also had a lot of people complain on buffering whenever we've tried that so it's sort of a trade-off now the thing with youtube live is there is actually a replay option so when that video is being replayed you can actually see the chat as was being said during the recording which is really really cool the other thing as well that is good with youtube and they've actually gone and uh, looked at some of these features more and more in the last couple of years is there is some moderation controls as well. Now, if you have a very, very busy chat on YouTube, a lot of people say it's very hard to moderate, but they do exist on YouTube Live. You also sometimes, as far as interacting with your audience goes, if you do record using YouTube Live, you will sometimes have listeners get notifications. It used to be a lot more prominent back when YouTube... Uh, Hangouts on Air was built into Google Plus, but people do still get some notifications when you do go and you set up a stream or you start up a stream. There are some emails that come in to people who are subscribed to your channel and whatnot. So that can help because, again, 
someone might be sitting there, they get that email, and all of a sudden they can pop over and now start chatting with you interactively right there on the spot. I've done that before. I've got an email where it said somebody is live and I've just gone in there and started to hop into the chat because I had a few minutes. So definitely there's some nice features on YouTube Live. Now, the other thing that is sort of like YouTube Live is one of SP's favorite places. <laughs> yeah, no. We're talking about Facebook, though, and I used to do my own little Facebook lives on Saturday mornings, like really early before I started to do stuff because people were interested in when I was editing and when I was producing and publishing some podcasts and that sort of stuff. So I, I finally broke down and was like, OK, I'll do a short five minute Facebook live on Saturday mornings. Now, when I did those live chats or live broadcast streams, whatever, there was a few things that I noticed. First of all, they're only available on Facebook. I never really looked into it, but I've never seen somebody embed a Facebook live stream anywhere else. Usually it's somewhere else that you're recording that's then streamed to Facebook and and uh, really streamed. It's not really embedded because they don't really allow any outside media to be played, whether it's a podcast audio or a YouTube video or Vimeo video or something like that is all live right there on Facebook. So you have to use a, if you're doing multiple locations to stream to, you're going to have to use something like OBS, vMix, XSplit, something that can stream to multiple different platforms. So the Facebook live is only available on Facebook. The notifications that you can get do help drive people to it. And usually it's when you haven't done one in a while, because usually after you've done a couple, the Facebook algorithm stops notifying people that you're live. I don't know why necessarily that is. I don't know if they see that not a lot of people are there and so it's not worth their time to go see you. Or maybe it's just their standard algorithm of trying to refresh what's in people's feed every once in a while. I have no idea. But the notifications don't always work. And we've noticed this actually when we've started streaming on different Facebook pages and see people pop up that wouldn't have normally popped up. And it was just because they got the notification on a different account. So that is a consideration. Do you stream on your personal page? Do you stream on your podcast page? If you happen to have a network page, do you stream to that? Do you change them up? That's all part of the, the thing. And it's not just one place either. So it's hard to build a consistent audience. And on Facebook, it's hard to build an audience that will stay there longer than 30 seconds too. Now, moderation is possible because it's Facebook. And if you own the page, you can moderate the, the comments that go along with it. But, you know, that's up to Facebook if they change that or not. Another thing that we want to just quickly touch on here is Twitch. Twitch is a thing that we've got some experience with as well. There are moderation tools available. It's very similar to other streaming sites that you've seen out there. And there is a chat as well that's built in and a pop out chat. As far as like replaying content goes and whatnot, after the fact, there are some options. But if you want to bounce back a few seconds live, not necessarily possible with Twitch at this time. So yeah, that can be frustrating if you want to pause and then go do something and come back on YouTube. You can two times speed it on Twitch. Not so much. But again, Twitch has some pretty good discoverability as well, like we talked about previously with Blab. I might not have the higher level account on Twitch. I don't even know if there's high level accounts on Twitch, but I do know when I stream to Twitch with my SPs at walkthroughs, the videos only last there for two weeks and then they're deleted. So I don't know how Twitch actually 
categories and catalogs content. I don't know if you can keep anything longer than two weeks, but that's a concern. If you're a hobby podcaster that doesn't have uh, a, a big professional account on Twitch, your videos only going to be there for two weeks for replay. All right. You're all about Twitter. You wanted to mention Twitter in the same sort of category, right? I do, because we're talking not just about the streaming, but we're talking about real-time or near-real-time interaction with your fans. Uh, Twitter, I, I have a question, Stephen. Does it even count for this? And in my mind, it does, because you can interact with your audience the same way that you normally do in so, sort of a live streaming event. Like if you watch a TV show, there's a bunch of hashtags that happen. You can hashtag your own show and you can get people interacting on that level. So it's either real time or what I would call near real time. So a couple of minute delay, but still within the confines of your actual show. The hashtags are very important because if you hashtag correctly, you can actually garner new audience. So if you go into a hashtag that people are actually interested in, they might cue into it on whatever list they have going on to search for that hashtag and they might find you. And granted, you're only on the air for, we'll just say an hour every day or not one hour every week. And that could be a little, uh, not enough to garner a lot of great audience over to but let's face it, a tweet is destined to last like five minutes and then people forget about it unless you said something really stupid or momentous or whatever it gets retweeted a billion times you're you're not going to go viral with your normal interaction your normal stream so whatever tweets out there it's just going to be the people that are on the platform at that time i'll say it now there's lots of people that would disagree with your assessment that a tweet only lasts five minutes we'll leave it at that we also want to mention that other social media can also be considered along the same sort of train of thought, thought process. Is it considered a lot sort of real-time interaction? Is it not? They're all sort of the same. Um, there's different avenues that do end up benefiting you when you end up uh, wanting to interact in a real-time fashion. There's others where, uh, again, it's essentially a five-minute post. We're going to talk a little bit here about what I would call closed off communities, communities like GroupMe, WhatsApp, you know, texting sort of messaging communities. I'll even maybe throw Slack in there, even though there are ways to make it a little bit more open. Now, these communities can be really closed off where you get the people in there and, and that's it. And you either don't announce them for new people to come in or there's some sort of barrier for new people to get in and they just don't. And it would be difficult, in my opinion, to build a live community from it, but you could still build a live community from it. You're just going to have trouble bringing new people into it. At least with Facebook, even if you have a secret group, you have the medium of Facebook available to everybody. But in these cases, not everybody might be on these apps or these services platforms. So it would be a little harder to bring them in. One thing that we want to go ahead and mention right now that is related to this is we made the podcastforum.com, which is a little quiet over there, but uh, we made it to interact more with people in a more real time, individual fashion. And it's something that we wanted to mention because of the fact that we had people who were looking for something like this. It helped build some more connections. Yes, it slowed down, but it was worth mentioning because it really did help build those relationships on a bigger level than if we had not had them. 
Yeah, and a while back, I was part of this general community that had a forum. We actually participated in live watch, and this is before Twitter became really big into the live watches. And you could do it in a forum type community, but unfortunately, it's at that point a little closed off community because you got to be logged in to get into it. And to be honest with you, everybody is on more social platforms, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook. So those are the places where a live watch should happen nowadays. But you could try it on a forum if you really wanted to get very cozy with your audience, you know, invite them on in into a form, you know, build a form, invite them on into the form and dedicate a thread for it and see where it goes. But I don't think that's going to really be successful in this day and age, unless you're trying to pare down, like you have a huge audience and you're trying to pare it down to the people that really want to be there. And lastly, with our experiences here, before we talk about some things you want to watch out for, we recently started a Discord server, and this has been amazing for building those relationships on a more personal level and interacting with people in essentially a real-time fashion. It's been not only great for Gunna Geek Network audience members who have adopted it, but it's also been good for the network itself, where I am personally getting to interact more regularly with some of the network members who I didn't always have an easy method to communicate before. Remember, I'm in Canada. We don't have technology up here. Uh, so it, it's great to have this Discord server. And you can even have live audio chats with Discord if you wanted to. The other thing is we've talked about moderation before uh, in this episode. There is moderation controls for Discord servers. It's really a great alternative for those who are not wanting to tie a Facebook chat to something or, or a Facebook account to something or be limited to one specific platform like the YouTube live chat. It's also great for having conversations in between your recordings because it's kind of like an, any other community, a forum, Reddit, whatever, right? Where you have people interacting. It's basically a chat room is what it comes down to. And it has been great to have for Guinea Geek. It has. Now, we're going to move on into some things to watch out for with your live interactions. Now, of course, while all these live interactions that we've explained our experiences with all sound great, there are some things you need to watch out for like letting the quality of your show suffer if you're using a live chat room as you stream and record. It can be hard to monitor a live experience while you record. It takes a while to get used to. You got to pay attention to the conversation going on. If you're using show notes, you have to pay attention to where you are with that. And if you have the chat room going on, you have to pay attention to the chat going on in there as well, especially if you're trying to prime the discussion truthfully basically you'll always be half paying attention to everything including the live chat so that's important to remember and it's important that you don't get so wrapped up in the live experience and make your posted project suffer because that's going to be around for a long long time after the live experience matter of fact everybody that i've talked to has a small percentage of their audience watching live now a small percentage could be as much as 10 to 30 percent but you still would then have 70% of your audience, which is going to listen to you later. So it's important to remember that. And the quality could suffer because of your poor delivery, because you're not paying attention, or it could be something else. Like you're always referencing something in the chat, which if you're listening to the podcast later in an area where you can't look at a screen, maybe you're mowing the lawn, maybe you're in the gym, maybe you're running, 
it's going to alienate that audience and be like, I can't pay attention to everything going on. I'm just going to move on to the next episode. You can also bite off more than you can chew with this sort of live interaction. So every time you start a real-time engagement, you end up having to dedicate some time. And if you can't manage that, your show might suffer. And honestly, if you're doing this at work, your work might suffer. You know, if you're doing a live interaction, like on on a chat that you've got going on Discord or whatever it is, your relationships might suffer too, because if you don't respond to people that might think you're intentionally ignoring them and they might stop listening, they might stop coming into the chat, they might stop trying to talk to you. So only start with what you can really handle, whether it's a live broadcast or it's interacting with your audience outside of the broadcast later throughout the week. Now, one thing that you want to consider as well when you're exploring all of these options is being careful not to exclude people as well, because this is something that can come up. In the past, I've had experience with people who have made small little groups on different group platforms, and it has unfortunately made it so that the community can't grow because you almost have to have the key to get in. SP, you've had this too, right? I have that same community that I was talking about before that had a a forum that everybody was going to. They transitioned to a closed off group me group. And while the interaction with those people is great, there is nobody new that comes in. And at first I was scratching my head over that. It's like, okay, how are we going to grow this community when you're not opening it up to anybody else? And then I finally got it. And this took years. They didn't want to grow. They didn't want to invite anybody new. And that was counter to what I wanted in the discussion, because I did want to bring new people in. I wanted their viewpoints. I I wanted to bring in their interests and everything like that. So after a while, I was just thinking my time is better spent other places. And I just didn't have time for a closed walled off community anymore. So it, it is a negative to one of those communities. But the positive is the people that are in there just really love each other and they get along great. And and that's what's important to them. So good, good for them. So moving on though, you have to consider all the variables, right, Steven? Yeah. And tying a little bit into some of our previous points, it's important that when you do start an interaction that you consider what might be, what might give you the best bang for your buck in order to grow your audience. A lot of users have made success simply by using chat tools along with things like YouTube Live and Twitch and whatnot. However, when Chatwing did exist, RIP Chatwing, by the way, Chatwing, say hi to Blab for us. Uh, We always, always found that we had users that were logged into that Chatwing chat room on Geeks.Live through a variety of the methods like Twitter and Facebook or the guest login, like SP said, Chatwing hat. And this, to me, indicated that users were comfortable with logging in with different things. So it was a great way to essentially open up that community, because if we went and we just went and used the Twitch login, uh, the Twitch chat, for example, people would have to have a Twitch account in order to interact. So you want to be aware of what the limitations are to whatever method you choose so that if you are not okay with those limitations, you can find an alternative. Another thing that we want to go ahead and mention here as we continue this train of thought is making sure that you aren't splitting your community into too many places. For example, we do stream on YouTube Live and sometimes Facebook Live, 
and occasionally we've done Mixer before. That's Microsoft's version of Twitch, basically. And the problem with that is you end up having a bunch of different chat rooms where people can potentially end up trying to reach us and we might not see them. So that's why we always, when we do stream elsewhere, try to indicate somewhere, whether it's in the description or a post in the chat room, wherever it, this is, if it's on Mixer, saying to come chat with us at geeks.live so that we're trying to funnel everybody into the same place. Now, we can only try to lead the horse to the trough. Can't make the horse drink. And sometimes we do get people elsewhere uh, talking in a chat room that is empty. Right. And then finally, let's talk about your brand, because ultimately, I'm guessing you want to grow your podcast or at least keep it static by bringing new people at the rate that people are leaving your show. And we've talked about that before. So that is one of the reasons we use Geeks.Live as our main avenue. It's because we can change the back streaming process at any time to a new service, but people will still know where to go. www.geeks.live. For example, this past week, just before we recorded Gonna Geek, we discovered that Chatwing went away. Now, I knew that Chatwing wasn't working Sunday night when I streamed Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I didn't have any time to look into it. I just thought it was a Chatwing outage. Monday night, we confirmed Chatwing just went bye-bye. I have no idea where it went. The Twitter account was gone. They started to redirect to ChatRoll, which is another chat service, a paid chat service. So yeah, Chatwing just left, and this was right before we recorded. So we were able on the fly, Steven was able on the fly, to make a change in the background and get another chat going. That wouldn't have happened if we were just dedicated and sending people to chatwing.com slash gonna geek. That just wasn't gonna happen. So the landing page made that possible, and that's another reason why we advocate using your own .com, your own URL, whatever you wanna call it, that is one of the reasons that we actually advocate for that. Now, the process of what happened on Monday is our friend, our pal, our co-host on Goody Geek, Chris Farrell, he actually knew a lot about chats because he had researched them before. So when we needed a new one, he did a quick Google. It turned up the one that we used, turned up at search uh, result four, five, six, something like that. And he just recognized the name and said, that one, let's go with that one because I've with it before and it's ringing a bell i think we should use that one and that's what we did so if we were sending people to a different location they would not have been able to use that chat room so that was a success story for us i guess how i saved up my podcast sort of but it's how i saved my chat room for my podcast <laughs> so if you've got experience interacting with people on a more real-time manner like a chat room or something else let us know through any of the ways head on over to betterpodcasting.com and tell us what your experiences have been but let's go ahead and move on to the Better Podcasting download. Welcome to this week's Better Podcasting download. All right, let's start off with one that I am so excited here to see a tease about. And we will just go ahead and give the video listener a tease and leave the audio listener in suspense for just a second before SP tells you what this rumor is about. Yeah, we're going to celebrate this announcement, so to speak. Rode actually went on their Facebook and Twitter account, from what I can tell, and they announced that the new firmware 1.1.0 will be released, quote unquote, soon. So by the time you actually listen to this finished project, 
the new firmware might be out. We might discover what new capability that they've teased is coming with it. Now, the two most requested features based on reviews and our own experience with it was multi-track recording and the ability to read the SD card while it's connected to your computer via USB. So those are the two most likely candidates, in my opinion, because they were saying that it's one of the most requested features. Now, based on what I know about audio pathways and based on what they previously said about the road and what it was, the Rodecaster Pro and what it was designed for, my immediate reaction was, this is definitely going to be the reading the SD card. However, we have since seen some tweets and I guess Facebook posts that Stephen was talking about before of a video clarifying it and it's showing all the tracks on the display going up and down, coupled with one of the first responses was by Christopher Lawson. And he said, it's most definitely multi-track recording. This will make the system complete and something which I can consider buying. Their reply was better get your wallet ready. So based on that, I think it's a higher likelihood that it's the multi-track recording, which I didn't think was possible. I thought the audio pathways were set in there, but I guess they're making this possible. I don't know. Steven, what do you think? Yeah, I'll admit, I thought... To be honest, I thought you were crazy thinking that it was the USB because I think that there's a couple of people who really want that. But honestly, I think that that's not anywhere near as, as much of a popular request as the multi-track. There has been a lot of people who have said the multi-track is just a showstopper for them. The USB you can live with by popping out the micro SD card. So I completely disagree with your assessment on that. I, I, I think that... Um, I agree with your later assessment that it's going to be multi-track based off of that feedback, but that's sort of been my gut from the beginning. And when you also look at the features as far as teasing an update, I don't think that a USB download warrants a multi-day tease. I don't think that at all. I think that that's not something that to get excited about. Taking your stereo track device and making it multi-track, I think that that is tease worthy. So uh, my opinion, I think it's going to be the multi-track as well. And I think that the early reviews, it was definitely the biggest negative on there. So I definitely, definitely think that, that that's the way it's going to be. But we'll wait and see. Who knows? As far as what I've seen Zoom change, because the Zoom L12 is also a digital mixer, the way I've seen them change some audio pass and whatnot, I have full faith that Rode could do it. So question for you, is this going to be, in your opinion, and of course, when this podcast is published, we might actually know, but in your opinion, we, we don't know yet. Is this going to be the ability to multi-track record to a DAW on your PC, or will this be the ability to multi-track record on the device, or I guess both? So what, what's your best guess there? I'm going to go with both because the L12 does it, and I think that they're smart enough to know that the L12 is the closest competitor in the price range. So I'm going to go with that. So at the same price, because they're both listed as $599, $599 US, what do you think is, if the Rodecaster Pro goes to multi-track, do you think that the L12 still is the better value? I think it's going to depend on what you want to do, um, because if you only need four inputs, I think that the Procaster, the Rodecaster is a better value because it has some processing built in and has the ability to have your sound cart built in. Uh, it's a little smaller form factor. It's a little simpler to use. 
It's got the touch display, so that opens up all sorts of potential down the road. If you want to do more than four, for sure, the L12, I think, is the better value because it has a heck of a lot more inputs on it. And I think there are some other features uh, that the L12 has, like the ability to save mixes and whatnot that just makes it the better deal overall. Um, I think that for most people, I think the L12 would probably be a better deal for an average podcaster's workflow, but we'll see. We'll see, because if, if they are making this big change road right away here, very quick after launch, that shows the potential on what else they might do in the future. So we'll see. I'm excited. And actually, if this goes multi-track, I, I have a really, really good use case to get my asinine setup that I hinted to previously with using it in conjunction with my L12, and we'll leave it at that. In the meantime, on your desk, within arm's reach, you have both the Zoom L12 and the Rodecaster Pro. I can just see that nice, cheesy Canadian smile in your face going, I have two great toys to play with. They're touching right now. They're touching the two <laughs> of them together. <laughs> At least they're not licking each other. Okay, <laughs> we're going to move on to the next part of the download. And that is a new story that I came across today as I was going to Forbes.com. And it was about the iHeartRadio Podcast Awards, first ever podcast awards that was streamed live Friday night, not to your TV, but to Twitter. Stephen, what did this article point out? Well, let's go ahead and read this here. It said the first ever podcast award show was streaming live Friday night on Twitter, listened to on radio stations and was deeply disappointing and a confusing mess for a show that was supposed to be a celebration of podcasts. It surprised. It was surprisingly light on recognizing actual podcast pioneers and the true stars of the genre. It relied instead mostly on TV stars and radio stars who use podcasting as a secondary means of reaching people. On one hand, this makes sense because they are iHeartRadio after all. They have radio to promote, and that's where they make their money from. However, this glitzy spectacle live from Los Angeles felt hollow as a celebration when compared to the truly joyous affair that was due to kick off the next morning a thousand miles away in Seattle PodCon. So, a article continues on and basically talks about how it was just not what it was supposed to be. And I said it before when this was announced that really having a true, you know, award show fashion production was the only thing that they, in my mind, really had going for them. Because traditionally, a lot of the awards that you've seen have been at conventions or smaller. And, you know, there are some other ones that are really uh, they're good presentations, but they're not really an awards show per se. And it sounds like they just dropped the ball again. Maybe, maybe, but they did get an article in Forbes.com about podcast awards. I would say that is a step in bringing podcasts a little bit more mainstream because every media out there has their own award show. And this was a first for iHeartRadio. As you mentioned, there are other award shows that have happened along the way. And there are some people involved in those that got their nose rubbed the wrong way because they were calling it the first ever podcast awards. It is not. It is the first ever widely 
acknowledged podcast awards, I guess, because Forbes wrote an article on it. They also listed all the winners, by the way, and there was a lot of categories, basically a lot of professional podcasts, very few, if any, what I would consider to be independent or hobby podcasts along the way there. But it was a celebratory fact of the industry a little bit. And if we want to call it a win, I'll call it a win because it got articles and Forbes, whatever. Okay. So they flubbed the ceremony. At least podcasting was part of the messaging there. I guess. But let's go ahead and move on to the true winners, the true podcast award winners, the better podback. Let's kick it off with a bit of a comment that we got from Apple Podcasts. The title is Stephen is Amazing, and the review said, I am a new podcaster, and I think Stephen is amazing. He's funny, he's charming, and he's amazingly good-looking. That's what the review said right there. Incorrect, Mr. Stephen, and anybody that has Apple Podcasts can go and view the better podcasting reviews in the United States. And there was a new review on December 16th, 2018 to better podcasting by bro. Greg, it was a five-star review. Thank you very much, bro. Greg for that five-star review. The title was informative, but not boring. I am a new podcaster and I'm trying to figure out a lot of the how to's funny how a podcast on podcast didn't come to my mind faster. When I started listening to podcasts on podcasting, this one seemed to be the best. They are giving information, but keeping it like, and I like that. Once again, that was from Bro Greg. Thank you very much, Bro Greg. And let us know the name of your show, and we will talk about it on a future episode. We really appreciate that review. And for everyone else that has not reviewed our show yet, go ahead and review our show, and we will talk about both the review and your show on a future episode. We also had at wave with two V's say great episode guys. And I believe this was actually in response to better podcasting. Number one sixty. Isn't that right? That's right. Myth busting the RSS feed. We also had a comment from at odd dad out. He said, basically check out all these wonderful podcasts and you know, he does these fall Friday posts for those that don't know Twitter that well. People used to use these hashtag FF or follow Fridays to recommend other accounts for people to follow. And he has been, cons Adam has been consistently doing that for a very long time. And he's popped at better pod in there a lot. And we really appreciate that, Adam. And you really just need to go out, get, check out his uh, podcast at odd dad out. Remember, remember at, when we were going into the first uh, Sunshine Summit and he was reviewing our show, remember him talking about that? That was, that was great. He reviewed all of the podcasts that were appearing on Heather's Sunshine Summit, the very first one in 2018. And that is where I first heard Adam's voice. And it was really great hearing him. We also had at Matt WBT, that's Matt with one T, say, love the show. Been podcasting since 2005 and still learn things from at Better Pod. What a compliment. We really do greatly appreciate that. That is that is awesome to hear. We uh, we do this out of the fun of 
podcasting and it's great to hear that we still are offering things to somebody so seasoned like yourself yeah 2005 keep up the great work don't stop keep going you're one of the og there don't stop podcasting (laughs) sorry we also got a response from at win kelly charles and she said just fyi you're going to kill me for saying this but at dual podcasts only podcast from his car yeah, we've been over this one before. Uh, neither of us are great advocates of podcasting from your car while it's moving or while you're driving. However, if you're using it as a sound booth, you can do that from time to time. You just might not be all that comfortable in it because you're either going to be way too hot or way too cold. So unless you're in that very narrow temperature margin where the temperature of the car is just right to podcast, then odds are you're not going to be temperature ready what steven i actually thought of a really good place that it would be good to podcast from your car and i think it would be somewhat comfortable potentially uh and good sound and that would be podcasting from your parked car in your garage i think that that would be really quiet it would but again if it's 90 degrees out and your garage is not air conditioned that's just going to be a an, a little oven it's a seasonal podcast it, it, it's a seasonal right. podcast okay fair <laughs> we also had at eod tech 2336 say at better pod libsyn slash podbean were my top hosting picks after the hosting episode a uh, few people recommended fireside.fm looks like a total package with everything included kind of on the pricey side Please share any impressions on it to help me decide. SP, you wanted to chime in on this? I did. There's a couple of things about Fireside.fm that I always have an issue with. First of all, and I don't know the answer to this, but I was not able to find out if Fireside.m is even claiming that they are IAB Podcast Measurement Standards 2.0 compliant and definitely not certified. I have not seen them listed on the certification process, but... I don't think they're compliant. So that would be something against a strike against using fireside.fm. Another thing that I do remember about fireside.fm is they limit the size of your MP3 to under a hundred megabytes. Now this is not necessarily bad. I think keeping your podcast file under a hundred megabits is probably good because of Wi-Fi issues, data issues worldwide, not necessarily in your area, but worldwide. Because remember, you're putting this podcast out there for the world, not necessarily for your neighborhood. So that is something to consider. But if I ever wanted to put out a three or four hour show that I was doing some spectacular with, like say Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., I actually got Clark Gregg on the show and I was able to talk to him for three hours. I'm not... I'm not breaking that up. It's just going to be one big episode and it's going to be over a hundred megabytes. So I want the ability to put that out there. And yes, it's a very special case, but just because of that one case, I want to make sure it goes out. So those are the two things immediately that I'll say fireside.fm, probably not a preferred podcast host, not something that we recommend here at better podcasting. Once again, if you're not self-hosting, which we also recommend, we would advocate using Libsyn or Podbean. The only other addition I've got to that is that um, it can get really hot when you're fireside, especially in the summer. So I, I don't know. It's, it's again, a seasonal in host. your car, <laughs> in your garage when it's 90 degrees out. Got it. 
Uh, also, we had at Vireman's Podcast say a small victory for my podcast. A listener in Africa contacted us, which means that we have at least one confirmed listener in every continent except Antarctica. I'm going to see if I can do any marketing toward penguins. So if you're a penguin checking out the show, please do us a favor and check out Varmint's podcast. Or if you happen to be at one of the outposts in Antarctica, like McMurdo Station or anything like that, go ahead and download at Varmint's podcast or at Varmint's podcast. His Twitter account is at Varmint's podcast. Also, we got a response from Seth, who is at Geekville Radio, and he just said out of the blue. Yes, still have it. And he posted a picture of our little coasters that we use, our little leather coasters that say gonna geek on them. And he got it when we did the panel at C2E2. I handed out 300 of them and he has one confirmed on the picture. So thank you very much, Seth. And we hope that everything is going well over in Geekville Radio Land. And finally... The one and only Ben Drew Scott from the podcast Itch channel. He said, American Liberty had the best video feedback I think I've ever seen. Oompa Loompa Doompa Dee Dee. And again, that's reference to the feedback that we got on episode 163 of Better Podcasting from American Liberty. And uh, if you haven't checked that out, go back and check it out. It is worth seeing. Maybe we'll have to make a little bit of a... Uh, an exclusive there for our Patreon page. Oh, wait, we don't have one. No, no Patreon. All you have to do is go to betterpodcasting.com slash 163 and you can see it on the YouTube video. I will agree. It is the best video audience listener feedback ever, ever. Any, any show, it doesn't matter. It is the best. Thank you very much, American uh, Liberty, for doing that. Without question. But that's going to take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, we want to remind you we're part of the Gonna Geek Network. The Gonna Geek Network has a bunch of amazing geeky content on there. And if you haven't checked it out, please go to gunnageeknetwork.com. As well, we do have a YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash gunnageek and youtube.com slash gunnageekgear. And we've got a couple of videos on there. And I will say there's one that's this close to being posted. And it's going to go one of two ways, depending on on how this works out for me and unfortunately I just got delayed because I was supposed to record it while everything went wrong as I recounted earlier today. Yep, so I'm looking to hearing another how I saved my podcast story from Steven when that comes up and remember you need to send your how I saved my podcast story into us as well as well as join our Discord, talk to us there, give us feedback on our Twitter and we'll talk about you and your show in the future. So there you go for episode 165 of Better Podcasting. I'm Stephen John Drew giving a moment of silence to Chatwing and Blab and Glamour. Now I'm SP saying let's look forward and we'll have something for you next week at Geekset Live. See you guys later. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Better Podcasting. We want to hear from you. You can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. If you like the show, please consider giving us a five-star review in iTunes. We encourage you to check out all of the other geeky podcasts available at gunnageeknetwork.com. This has been a Gunna Geek production. 
Thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week.